three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode one twenty four. Today we're being joined by Anish from Canine Academy in Canada. Let's get him on. Recording in progress. There he is. Hey, how you doing? What's up, man? Hey. You guys can hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. You're changing the scenery up. You're, are you, what, did you finish your, uh, would you have like a studio room you're building or something? <laughs> um, yeah, the inventory room, it's it's still under construction. So I just moved to our staff dining area. <laughs> Love it. Beautiful. How are you? How are man? you guys doing? Not too shabby. Living the good. dream, you know? Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> And who's who's this? Uh, nice to meet you, man. Yeah, I'm Josh. Nice to meet you. I'm his. Uh, great. I'm the guy who bounces his ideas off on his podcast. So, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's yeah, great. Josh, uh, Josh and I have been doing the podcast together since the beginning. So he does like the media side of things, and then he's actually the like co-host on the on the podcast. So, yeah. oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have uh, Cass as my co-host too. She's busy right now. I should have brought her on. Uh, it's all right. Another time. Yeah. Another time. Like, <laughs> I like this. I like this mic. Yeah, right. it's it's the same thing. I'm pretty sure, but I yeah. like the white. Yeah, man. I know that's it's slick, really fresh. Yeah, you guys should grab it. It's yeah. uh, I have the black one too, and I was like, ah, this one was on sale. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Well, what's good, man? How you been up there? Uh yeah, we've been good. Um, daycare is busy, so we've been tired uh, dealing with all that. We have some tough dogs here. Like we have a. Have you ever met some Korean dogs, like Korean Jindos? Uh maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not super familiar with them. Oh yeah, they're tough. Like they're very feral type. Like very nervous. Yeah. Um. So we have a couple of them here, which is not hard. And one of them is blind and deaf. So oh, it's, Jesus. it's like it's socializing the dog and dog aggressive. Yeah. So it's a little hard. Are those? Yeah. Uh, are they similar to? Do you guys work with many of like the pot cakes? Are you familiar with the pot cake dogs? Yeah. So um, Canada is like responsible for I think ninety percent of the imports of those dogs. Really? So we we see tons of them. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah like. Wow. Yeah. Do you guys see a lot of them? We see a good amount of them. I would say maybe okay. one or two per year we'll get in. We oh, very, really? Yeah. Very early in my career, we made a connection with a family that rescues them that has five of them now. Uh, wow. And they're very connected with like an actual pocket pocket rescue, like kind of in the uh, greater <laughs> Northeast Ohio area where we're located. Nice. And nice. they've just kind of kept sending dogs to us and they send us like some some pretty difficult ones i mean they're they're very quirky dogs as well yeah <laughs> yeah they're very nervous they have their own personality they're very like street like personality yeah but yeah, but I, sure. I do like them they're great for socializing when they know how to do it properly yeah yeah they're great hell yeah um well we're recording right away just so you know uh we kind of just jump oh, right on and, and start rolling <laughs> so, that's cool me. So, yeah hey that's so cool me. He, so he never lets anybody know. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it, <laughs> as soon as you're on, you're just recorded. We're going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad I like it this way. Uh, hell yeah. So, uh, what, uh, tell me about this like blind and deaf dog that you're working with. Yeah. So we have this, um, 
it's it's just a it's a jindo 12 years old yeah uh blind blindish a little bit deaf lot, lots of aggression mm-hmm. uh they have a housemate and uh basically what's happening is the dog is showing aggression aggression towards the housemate but it doesn't seem to be bad it just really seems to be for just a bit of resource guarding yeah. so it's not crazy i think we just had a dog get dropped off like freaking out to come in oh, really? yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know yeah I, I hear something yeah so like we do see quite a few of those but uh i'm trying to build my um impaired dog experience like my deaf and blind dog yeah because <laughs> I, I read a few books on it recently and i do find it very interesting that was going to be my next question is do you work with a lot of like blind and deaf dogs because i've actually never worked with like a fully blind and deaf one i think i've worked with like one that was totally deaf and like partially visually impaired but can still see well yeah. enough uh where it wasn't like completely impeding and i've worked with a couple of fully blind dogs before but never uh like a fully both Got it. Um, no, fully both is very rare. Like I've worked yeah. with a few sharp pays that are both, which yeah. is, you can imagine, <laughs> yeah. um, aggression. So if the door, if anything touches those types of dogs, they just get mad because yeah. uh, they don't know what's touching them. So they get really, sure. really irritated by it. But, uh, it's, it's hard. I think just deaf is pretty easy because you can do hand signals. Yeah. Uh, just blind is also not too hard because you can do verbal, yeah. but both it's like, you can't really do much without the e-caller. Yeah. It's really hard without the e-collar. The uh, w- one guy that I talked to one time about it was talking a lot about how they just utilize scent for most things, you know? Like, so yeah. they'll teach the yeah. dogs, like, follow different odors to teach them how to get to, like, outside, right? Or to get, like, back to you. They, they pair, like, certain odors with, like, a, a certain person and stuff like that, which I thought was very interesting. I guess, like, totally makes sense. But, yeah, even with, like, you know, even with, like, deaf dogs and stuff, it's, like, you could get a hell of a lot done with a deaf dog, but it, I think a lot of working with those like impaired dogs is just like expectation setting of like what you're actually going to be able to get out of this, you know? Like, exactly. Like you could let your deaf dog like totally off leash and stuff, but like at a certain point, it's like, you know, like sure you could use, you know, vibration on the e-collar and stuff like that to get them to like check in and stuff. But sometimes you look at the risk involved in like giving them too much freedom and, and I have a hard time handling <laughs> some of that, you know? Yeah, it's it's really challenging. Um, my my first dog, my Beagle, uh, she passed away in 2019, but she had a two terminal cancers right before she passed. So my life with her was fantastic. Yeah. And then in 2019, she got she had a really bad uh, seizure one day, and it really heavily impaired her sight, I believe, sure. and really also impaired her um, hearing at the same time. Yeah. So it was after this one seizure, everything changed. And I remember I went for a hike with her. And, you know, I've never had issues with this dog off leash and it's a beagle, sure. you know, they have their own mind. And I called her once and then she started sprinting in the opposite direction because I don't, I, don't, sure. I just don't know what she was seeing or thinking or hearing, started sprinting. And then I said, I said, come again, even louder. Yeah. And she started sprinting faster in the opposite direction. I'm like, oh my oh, goodness, geez. this is crazy. And then I didn't want to risk touching the e-collar because sure. then she'd go even faster in the yeah. direction. So I just ran after her repeatedly yelling. And then as I got maybe like within 20, 30 feet of her, her, I think the vibration of me around her started to click in and she's like, oh, he's behind me. And then she saw me. It was crazy. It's it's very difficult, I think. So strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you said you read a couple books recently on uh, working with dogs like that? Yeah, like uh, since we've been seeing a couple, I thought I might as well sharpen up. But you know, a lot of these books are written by... They're, they're very theory. Sure. Like I know a lot of these people maybe have had one deaf dog and then they wrote a whole book <laughs> on how to train dogs. Yeah. It's like ridiculous. So... um. I don't know if you've ever read the book uh, Frantic Freaked Out, something, I forget what it's called. Frantic Freaked Out Fired Up or something. It's very popular. No, I Super popular in the uh, peer positive community. I I read it years ago. And when I read through it, I was like, wow, this this might be one of the 
least helpful books I've ever read. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, it's like I couldn't believe what I was reading because it, it was like the most popular book at the time and everyone sure. was raving about it. And I read it and I was like, this is crazy. It's, yeah. But it it really just goes to show what common knowledge is like in the dog industry. Yeah. The most common knowledge is in many cases the opposite of what you need to do, yes. which is such a shame. And this is one of the only inter- industries that really operates like that. I think this in medicine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because if one person builds a house, if there's an architect and another person builds a house, they'll agree on a lot of things. Like they'll agree on the foundation. They'll agree on the type of lumber, very likely. They'll agree on the other things. But when it's when it's a dog, like you're going for the same result, uh, a trained, happy dog, happy family. Yeah. But the way everything's done, uh, everyone has a disagreement. Yeah. It's crazy. And I think it's a crazy. lot of it is, you know, you get into I want a lot of like the balance training, force-free, like kind of debates and stuff were happening with like all the Zach George stuff and everything recently. I think one of the biggest things that I was seeing people say that I actually, I, I thought was very interesting uh, was it's because everybody's metric of what a trained dog is is so different, you know, and you can look at that from a health standpoint as well. Like everybody's metric of what like, you know, being physically and mentally healthy is is completely different, right? So the approaches are going to be so different because those metrics in some cases like aren't even on the same spectrum. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. What would you, would you say you have a, a metric? <sighs> that's a good question uh yeah i think the hard part is that the metric of what a trained dog is varies based on the individual situation the dog is in right so a lot of people talk about like you know well you know when you talk about methods for example they say you know train the dog in front of you and i think that i agree with that to an extent right of of train the dog in front of you means look at all of the situations and variables outside of the dog itself right so where does the dog live right what are the owners like how active are they how much time do they want to put into things what are the actual issues that they're having you know and then you look at the dog what's the temperament of the dog right what are some of the the limitations that i might be looking at with the dog and stuff and then i adjust my entire metric of like what is success with this dog going to look like based on all of those factors and you know I would say in a lot of cases, the training methods I'll imply are pretty similar from dog to dog to dog to dog, right? We're going to take the same kind of approach to achieve those metrics. But every now and then we'll get a dog that just kind of fits outside of that mold where there's either less we need to actually do with the dog, more we need to do with the dog, or we have to totally change those methods. Like I don't, obviously we're balanced trainers here, right? And we'll use e-collars with probably 99% of the dogs that we work with and, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of consequence or, or, or things like that. But there have been a couple dogs that I've worked with. Like one recently, we, we talked about, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago or something like that. We had this dog, Fiona, that came in and she's like a little chihuahua mix of some sorts, right? And uh, she's maybe three, something like that, and had just horrendous like handling like anxiety and aggression and stuff, right? And um, owned by kind of an older couple. And, um, you know, we started working with this dog and I'm like, all right, well, we're going to go through the program and we'll start doing obedience training and this and that. And very early on, it just kind of felt like, like when I was assessing the situation of the dog and like what the owners really needed out of the dog, obedience training was so low on their list of priorities of something <laughs> that they needed, you know, where we basically just threw it out the window, you know, like I, I, I oh, think wow. we, we kind of sort of taught a bed stay with this dog, but really what we just focused on is just taking this dog everywhere with us, exposing it to so many new things, socializing it, getting it used to being handled and stuff like that. And just like building a really good relationship with the dog, which I usually, when I hear trainers say, you know, 
we're relationship based trainers, right? <laughs> and like, like you got to build the relationship and doing all these things is going to tarnish the relationship and stuff like that. My brain immediately usually goes to like, that's kind of bullshit. Right. Um, yep. because like, we're only with the dog for X amount of time. Like I don't, I, I shouldn't be focused on building a relationship with this dog. I should be focused on teaching this dog skills that it's going to need. So the owners can build a really good relationship with this dog. Right. Exactly. And you said you do the, the 10 session one-on-one. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like that would that would boil down to ten hours. You can't really yeah. build a relationship with with a dog that's that's no. strong in ten hours. Yes. It's it's crazy for people to yeah. even say that. Like if you're a relationship based trainer, but yeah. you do privates, yeah. what are you doing? Three hundred privates? Like there's no way. Like <laughs> yeah. you can't build a relationship yeah. in in yeah. four sessions, six sessions. Yeah, but in this right? board and train, that's kind of all we did. Right? Is is all yeah. of us individually just built an awesome relationship with this dog while kind of you know, doing just different types of socialization, environmental socialization, dog socialization, people socialization, stuff like that. And it wound up being one of the most successful, like fearful dog transformations we've had in a long time. Like we still see dogs still oh, comes wow. in for boarding and stuff like that. And is so pumped to come in, likes having people come over the house now and stuff like that. It, it was just really cool, you know? Oh, <laughs> fantastic. So that's how I look yeah. at metric, right? Yeah. So that's kind of yeah, good. back to that original. Thing. <laughs> so, so what about yourself? Like, how do you view that? Uh, you know, good question. I always have an idea of what I think the client wants to see. And then I also listen to what the client tells me, right? So every client will tell us, you know, I just want this behavior to stop, or I want my dog to be fine with people coming over. But what we know is there is a life that the client is not even imagining yet because of their own limitations. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know that if everyone could, they would love to bring their dog for a walk with them to a local patio, coffee shop, whatever it is, picnic bench. Yeah. They would love to be able to sit down on the picnic bench with their dog laying down beside them and enjoy a coffee and just watch what's going on at the park and just relax for a bit. Maybe go on a family outing and just have the dog lay down. Uh, I know other things people want is to be able to walk down the street, whether it's low distraction, high distraction, without worrying about what their dog's going to do on the walk. I know that's a huge one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically walking stress-free is big. Um, the dog being able to be calm in the house when guests come over, I think that's a big one. So if the dog is a bit territorial, they want to be able to trust their dogs when people come over. And then finally, I, I know everyone wants this. They just don't think it's possible. Having a dog off leash. Yeah. Like I know everyone wants it. They just, some people have such a block, like, no, I'll never in my life do that. That's yeah. too much for me to handle. But if people realize how easy it can be, yeah. I think everyone would do it. Yeah. You know? And uh, that would be my metric. If we can help people achieve those things, like yeah. doing those things stress-free, I think we've done the majority of what we need to do. Yeah. I, th- I think I used to say a lot, like people, like I, I just, I feel like a lot of people don't realize like what training can accomplish, you know? It's, exactly. it's so interesting, you know, because like so many people, so many people's like mental metric of what training is, is like PetSmart classes and things like that, right? <laughs> and when they see real training like out in public, that's why so many people's brain just goes to like that dog's like a robot, right? Like it's exactly, it, it, you know, without it's like realizing not possible that you're just, you're just channeling who the dog is right into something, you know, positive, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So that kind of brings me to, I, do, I did come prepared with some, some talking points here. So oh, in cool. our last <laughs> conversation that we had, one of the things that you brought up that I thought was really interesting, I wanted to dive into a little bit is we were talking about the walk, right? And I think we were talking about reactivity cases and stuff like that. And you mentioned at one point, the walk is not your primary form of exercise. You always push people to like off leash, off leash, off leash, right? Uh, yes. Which I absolutely don't disagree with that at all. I'm really interested to dive into that and kind of get your take on what sure. you mean by that. Yeah. Um, so the thing is up here, we do see a lot of uh, lower drive, easier going dogs. And I do think for a lot of them, even a lot of the doodles we meet, 
I do think walks are adequate exercise. Uh, but we do meet lots of dogs that they just, they walk for like 20, 30 minutes at a time. Their walking rules are not very clear. The dog is in a state of usually prey drive during the walk. Um, so I want to teach people how to release prey drive or release excitement, release energy. And if the dog is able to be fully off leash reliable and the people end up going to a park to play fetch or going to a trail to hike, and then they supplement with a walk later, like something just, just not primary, I think their life will be a lot better. Uh, so what we see a lot of is Rottweilers, Shepherds, Dobermans, Malinois, Pits that are never, ever, never running off leash, like never running around, never having fun, yeah. but they're walking all the time. And even if their leash rules are okay, you can just see the dog is a bottled up mess. You yeah. can just see them going crazy. <clears throat> so that's, that's pretty much what I meant. Yeah. yeah for it, sure. uh, if you guys want me to dive into that a little bit, the, the few things I'm thinking about is, um, can you make a dog walk properly without lots of exercise? Like, you know, let's say you take a dog for a walk sure. every day. You don't take them off leash to exercise. Can you still get a nice walk? I do think you can. Um, but I think your walking rules need to be clear. I think you can't be yeah. confusing the dog. The dog can't be assuming they're just going to meet people, meet dogs on a walk. Cause they'll actually, I think they'll build yeah. in excitement and you'll have a really hard time containing it. So I, we find it's easier to teach people expel, expel everything first, take the dog out to play in the morning, take the dog out to the yard and walk, walk usually supplementary. But there are some people, again, they don't really want to do the off leash. They're just too scared and <laughs> walking is their only option. I, I completely <laughs> agree with you. You know, that was one of the big things we talked about last time is with the reactive cases, like so many of them, like you're just asking them to contain it so much all the time, which just yes. kind of creates that ticking time bomb. So let's say hypothetically, right, you have a new client that comes in, right? Rottweiler, yep. whatever, really reactive, struggling with everything right and we know a part of that solution is going to be giving this dog the freedom to be able to just like run and express themselves and uh you know let some of that energy out but let's say they live in you know getting into individual situations they live in an apartment situation they don't have a big yard that they could let the dog run around in stuff like that how would you as you're working through the program with the dog like what would some of the early stages of giving that dog those outlets look like yeah, you know what? That's a great question because we see this situation all the time. High drive dog in the city. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the second the dog gets out of its condo, it's walking. Like, there's no park. Yeah. Um, so what we always do is we always tell them, look, if you're going to go for a walk, if you have to go for a walk, if it's mandatory, let's at least make sure the walk is not building the dog's frustration, building the dog's drive. Let's make sure the walk rules are clear yeah. so the dog isn't confused. And let's say you're going to walk to a park. Right. Or let's say you're just going to walk to a field where you can play tug. Uh, we always tell people just go there, go with a flirt pull, go with a ball, play a little bit. And then when you walk back, you'll notice your dog will be a little easier to deal with. However, we always tell people if you go for a short walk and the dog is anticipating doing something and it's not somewhat long, yeah. it will just be a, a pretty bad road following. Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the coolest videos I saw recently was uh, I don't know if you guys follow Caesar Milan at all. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are fans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, Big fan. I, I, I think he's great for the yeah. industry. I always thought he was fantastic 100%. for the industry. So he posted a video about 4th of July fireworks. Okay. Did you see that one? I don't know if I saw that one. Okay, so he posted it on his Instagram. And I just thought the way he explained it, I think he's a master of explaining things because yes. he, just, he just knows dogs so deep on such a deep level. Yeah. He said one of the main reasons dogs get so freaked out by fireworks is because, number one, they don't get adequate exercise. They're not walking. They're not following you. They don't have these principles instilled. 
right? And then we take these dogs and we go to parks and they, they're they exposed to fireworks where in nature, if the dogs were free, they would be running around all day anyways because they have to hunt for food, scavenge, so they'd be tired. Yeah. And if they ever needed to, they can run and hide under something if there was a firework or a thunderstorm or a loud noise. So they're stimulated. You know, they've used up all their energy. They've yeah. ran around for probably a couple hours but they also have a potential flight option. Now, what we do as humans, we take the dog, we don't give them any exercise. The dog has no clue how to run from the noises and they're trapped in a house or they're taken on a leash and they absolutely flip out. And the way he explained everything I thought was so fantastic, but he also explained the walk as a focused activity. So I I thought it was a great video. Everyone should check it out if if they follow him. Yeah. Hell yeah, that's really cool. And the the ironically, the noise phobias and stuff is something else that I had as a talking point because obviously we just got by Fourth uh, of July. I don't know if you guys you know do fireworks and stuff like that to celebrate our Fourth of July. Or <laughs> uh, so we have uh, a yeah. Canada Day. Canada okay. Day is three days before you guys. Awesome. Yeah, all right. So you, you just got done uh, getting through all that too. So noise phobias <laughs> is really interesting, right? Because you just kind of mentioned, right? Like in nature, right? The way he explained it, dogs can run and hide from something, right? And you know, I think a lot of the thing people struggle with in the house is the fact that the dog runs and hides from the noises. And it's one of those things where it's such a catch-22 because it's like if the dog wants to go hang out in the basement while these fireworks are going on, like I don't generally have an issue with that, right? Like I think getting back to like what we talked about in our last uh, episode we did, which is like let dogs kind of be who they are. Like if you have a dog that just like needs to give themselves a break and like go somewhere else and just like be by themselves for a little bit, like that's okay. But I think where the problem really comes from is that in the presence of those noise phobias, when they get really anxious over those types of things is that we lose complete control over them. You know what I mean? Yes. So I think, you know, there's a degree of like, we try to help the dog overcome those issues by getting them less focused on them and more focused on some sort of task. Right. But at the same time, you kind of play this, this fine line of then you're taking away their flight option. Right. Which could sometimes, you know, if they can't overcome that hurdle, increase the anxiety towards the situation. Right. So how do you view working through things like noise phobias or fireworks or uh, do you have like a, a, like an approach you generally take with that stuff? Yeah. You know, honestly, great question. Uh, When it comes to noise phobias, there are theories and then there are things that I like to test. So the theory would be that if a dog has a noise phobia, you should work on it and hopefully everything gets fixed. And the way a lot of people work on it is they would play firework noises on their computer. (laughs) They would bring the dog outside while fireworks are going on, which the sound is not replicatable. It's so loud, right? So it's very hard to train for that scenario. Um, So I find directly working on it, is not productive. I've always found directly working on noise, the dog will start thinking, oh my goodness, my owner is bringing me in front of these fireworks again. Like they're crazy. They're playing firework noises at home. I'm never safe. Right. (laughs) Um, But I think it's a very deep rooted issue of the dog not feeling safe with the owner. And I'll tell you why I came up with this theory. Every single time we have fireworks, right? At at our, in Canada. So uh, July 1st, we have fireworks. We have them on Victoria day. And I don't know, there there might be another day, but I can't remember. Um, we have all of our boarding dogs run out in our field, uh, run out in our yard, and they're running around, they're having fun. They're running, exercising, and then usually the fireworks would go off anywhere from 7.30 to like 9. Mm-hmm. So we'll have them out, and I just want to get them really tired. I want to get them running around, but also we have some pretty important rules at our boarding facility where any alert behavior outside the fence, anything they try to make their business, which is not theirs, yeah. we always address. I say, hey, we give them a tap on the e-collar, they have a pop on the long leash, I do spatial pressure, something. Sure. We always tell them, snap out of it. Don't worry about anything outside the fence. And what ends up happening is when we see fireworks on these days, since the dogs feel so safe under our care, yeah. since we tell them, don't be alert, don't think about it, we find that even when there are fireworks, they literally don't care. Yep. 
And these are the same dogs where at home they would flip. 100%. Like, ah, and they hide. Yeah. But they know that anything outside the fence is absolutely not their business. Yeah. Especially when they're in the yard, they're tired. You know, they don't care. And they know that we've got it covered. Yeah. And there's no reaction. And I find it so fascinating. Yeah. Every year we see the exact same thing at our facility. Like we had, you know, just over 4th of July, I think, you know, like 46 dogs in our care or something like that. And like, oh, wow. Not, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and wow. not one firework issue. You know what I mean? And we see that year after year after year. And like we do our last runs through like 10 o'clock. Right. And that's generally the fireworks are going off 930 or so for us. Uh, and we'll literally be running dogs out into the potty yard and fireworks are going off and nothing. You know what I mean? And it's the same kind of thing yeah. where like, you know, any sort of alert behavior, right? There's rules at the facility. We stay on top of them over stuff. And w we talk so much about like a lot of your problems you're seeing are more of like symptoms than they are the problem themselves. And I think fireworks and noise phobias and stuff like that, like really in a lot of cases does equate in the same way, right? It's, it's not so much that that is the specific problem. It's just showing itself as that being the problem. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yes. As you work on everything else, like that is just another one of those things that just kind of like falls off with everything else. And every now and then you'll get like really extreme <clears throat> cases. Like I think of a couple of dogs that I've worked with that like they hear a particular noise, right? And they have this phobia of the noise. And it is like a complete like physiological change in the dog. Like it's it's unbelievable. Like a, like, like a snap, like a switch flicks. This dog just goes into a complete different state of mind right um but those ones i feel like are a lot fewer and further in between um and and those ones even you know like i said like we, we don't see massive anxiety out of once you actually kind of work on the problem a little bit you know so yeah no i think that stuff is uh is very interesting so yeah i think that's super well said uh you said it's more of a symptom not an actual phobia it's true it's uh when when a dog is generally a little bit alert and they get away with being alert all the time and they start creating their own fears in their head of things that aren't real yeah uh once the fireworks start going off this is like an explosion of yes. of, of of an actual symptom it's like i have i've been alert all this time but yeah. now i'm hearing this extreme noise i'm definitely in danger yeah it's it's a symptom of everything that has gone on and then people blame the fireworks yeah it's, it's actually uh very important that you said that because i think it's 100 percent true yeah yeah it's just like compounded to an extreme you know it's just like exactly. a much bigger trigger that they then need to alert at in a more intense way yeah no i think that's exactly that's a great way to put it and then i i know when people uh when people hear this they're gonna disagree oh my sure. goodness my dog freaks out at fireworks but then <laughs> yeah, why yeah. did david have 46 dogs yeah. that didn't care about fireworks why yeah, right. why do we have 20 30 dogs that come here with not they don't even look at the fireworks like they don't care yeah. why is it it's it's like there's theory right theory which is everything people talks about and then there's testing we've tested it and uh yeah. it's, it's proven to be true so it's crazy yeah, yeah yeah super interesting so kind of piggybacking off of some of the conversations we've already said here right so we talked a lot about socialization last time right um I do. I want to dive a little deeper into that as well here. So it looks like, you know, per following your page, you guys do a lot of socialization, which is awesome, right? Socialization has always been one of those things that I think has me so fascinated in the dog world. And I think some of that comes from getting back to like the Caesar and stuff, right? Like, you know, Caesar did have this very like holistic approach to looking at, you know, socializing dogs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and how important of a role that it plays in things. But in your opinion, right? Like what role does socialization play in like your training program? Yeah, good question. So most of the dogs that we see for a board and train, right? Uh, most of the dogs we see are either nervous, nervous of other dogs, or maybe they're too excited, or I, I'd say most of them are just, just fearful and aggressive. So what we need to do is we need to prove to the dog that dogs are something that you will see all the time. 
And it's it's not something you need to be afraid of. And the dog has convinced themselves that dogs are something that are either combative, uh, pushy, annoying, or just dangerous. That's what dogs think. So our our goal really through socializing is to fix that perception and show them, hey, I don't I don't care if you don't like playing with dogs, but I want to show you, I want to prove to you that dogs are not bad. Yep. That, that's that's what socialization plays in. And I saw a video that you posted, and I also thought it was brilliant. The caption was absolutely brilliant. Um, or I think it was one of your staff speaking about it. They were saying, hey, people get so heartbroken when their dogs don't play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an awesome video. Yeah. Now, there are so many dogs, they just don't play. It's like yeah. it's like people going to the club and not dancing. It's the same thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. you might like going to the club, but you're just not a dancer. <laughs> yeah. Um, a dog, they, they may want to come out and hang out. They like just sitting and watching everything or just being involved, but they may not like playing. Yeah. I, have, I have a dog right now. He he freaks out to come out. He's like, ah, and then he runs outside and he sits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this is great. I love, I love being here. And I'm like, good. You do you, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, like okay. So how do you generalize the so so getting to socialization, right? It's very easy for us to socialize, right? Like at facilities and stuff. We have so many dogs at our disposal. You know, we have such a controlled way we can do it. Um, you know, we can make sure everybody stays safe. We could, you know, move the needle along and stuff like that. One thing that I think a lot of owners really struggle with is this idea of socializing their dog on their own outside of the training facility, especially if the dog has had any sort of history of dog issues, right? So how do you start to get people in a place where they feel confident going and doing some of those things on their own? Uh, yeah, on, honestly, really good question. I, and I don't know if you guys have an answer for this, but I think this is one of the toughest things to do right now sure. in the industry. Yeah. Where do you where do you tell your clients to go to make dog friends? How do yes. you tell them to start socializing? Yeah. They don't have a facility. What do you do? <laughs> uh, we always tell people, like, this is something we haven't done yet, but we always uh, told people we're going to make a Facebook group yeah. for the clients. I don't know why we haven't done it yet. I always it's talk a great about idea. it and I don't do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah and <laughs> they can connect with similar personality types, yeah. uh, dogs that their dog may like, or maybe dogs that their dog has met through boarding, and yes. they can meet up and hang out. Yeah. Um, the other thing you can do is if people have local parks, like not a dog park, but a local park yeah. where they scout and they see, hey, this dog seems really social. He doesn't seem pushy. He doesn't seem shy. Seems like the right fit for my dog. You can approach that person and say, Hey, like my dog's not very aggressive, but I'm still working on making sure he meets polite friends that will help build the socialization. You can try asking people, but I do find people are really shy to do this. So this is a problem that I've been trying to figure out and I I don't really have an answer. They come see us for sessions, they board, they do daycare, but doing it on your own is, is I find very hard. We, uh, we find that, you know, owners will perpetually find themselves in a trap of just constantly coming to us for daycare, which is great. Mm, yeah. right? Like, obviously, <laughs> from, from our standpoint, it's like, hell yeah, like, yeah, come to daycare, right? It's great. You know, it's a, it's a good outlet. But but just like yeah. training, I think we forget sometimes socialization needs to be generalized, right? Mm-hmm. And into different types of environments with different dogs. And inevitably, you know, we, we always see with owners, the dog acts a little bit differently with the trainer around versus with the trainer not around and stuff like that, yes. which is where I think it gets really challenging sometimes. So like, we've... We don't, we don't really have a great – it's funny. You brought up the Facebook group thing. Um, we, we've uh, uh, talked about that before, and there's actually another local trainer that I saw them one time. They set up what I thought was a really cool idea, which is they they did this like uh, – I think it was for like Valentine's Day or something. They made this like quirky little like <laughs> – like, like for the owners, they like swapped information of like two dogs that were like really – like they liked each other at boarding or, or daycare <laughs> or something like that and got them to like set up like a little play date with the dogs, you know? Oh, and nice. I, I thought that was like a really great idea because especially if those dogs already have a good relationship, like you're removing the risk of their meeting a new dog 
dog and there might be a different adverse reaction or something like that. Uh, and you're generalizing that play date to a new place where they could then cultivate that relationship and start doing it on their own, you know? Uh, and it's funny, like the, the park thing you brought up and stuff like that. Like obviously as dog trainers, we always talk about like dog parks suck, right? We don't like them, this, that. And, and I do agree with that, right? But it's unfortunate because like, some dog-friendly places, like we have a dog beach by us. It's like an off-leash dog park area, right? We have a, a bunch of different types of dog parks from like really large, like acres and acres of land ones to like really small ones in the city and stuff like that. And it's like, in theory, they're a good idea. You know what I mean? Like a central yeah. place that you could take your dog to go interact with other dogs. It's just in practice, everything falls apart, you know? But you can, in some contexts like assess the situation, right? And see, does it seem like the owners are being responsible with their dog? Does the dog seem like it's polite and well-mannered? Is it chaos in it right now? Is there maybe only one or two dogs in? And you can utilize it to your advantage. Sometimes it's just such a gamble sometimes, you know? No, I, I agree. You know, I've, I've always been telling people if a dog park did not have a fence, if it was not fenced in, yeah. I think it would be a little better <laughs> just because uh, the people who have dogs that would likely run away or not listen or just parade around all day they would never show up because their dogs could run away yeah, but i think the fence makes the dog park worse because this is where everyone goes every day to socialize and tire out their dogs because they can't trust their dog doing anything else so i think a, a fence point. removed would be great that's, that's <laughs> a really great point and, and thinking about it like so there was a couple like places that i could think of like in the greater cleveland area that were like the unspoken off-leash dog parks you know yes that did seem like the dogs were much more responsible but then like you run the risk of like in those types of places like we've also had like there's this apartment complex by our facility like massive you know new apartment building and stuff that has this like big courtyard area that's just turned into the dog park right and there'll be like 10 nice. dogs there at all times and stuff and and the problem is though like we have a lot of clients that live in that area right and they'll go for walks through the neighborhood and stuff and they can't even walk around their apartment complex because these dogs are constantly off leash in an uncontained area and then you get dogs oh, running across the street to try to like come after them and this and that and it just mm. turns into such a mess you know oh my um, goodness but but getting back to like sometimes you have to work with what you have like we had a client recently come in from uh she's from cleveland but she lives in colorado and she came up to spend like like five days with me right and do like one-on-one -on -one sessions and stuff like that and she was having some dog aggression issues in colorado obviously all the dogs are off leash all the time in the mountains and stuff like that and there's like no avoiding them right <laughs> and like we broke like every rule in our book of like we started just taking this dog to the local dog places and just kind of forcing him to cohabitate in this and get used to being around other dogs right and kind of made the best of the worst situation that she was in because it's not like she could like avoid dogs forever on the walks and only have these like controlled setups. It's like this dog is going to meet dogs when you leave your front door. So let's make sure we look at that situation and figure out if he's going to meet those dogs, what are all the steps we could put in place to at least make the risk as low as possible and hopefully actually move this needle in the right direction of him learning to like being around other dogs. Exactly. So. Exactly. Um, one of the goals we always have when a dog does a board and train here is we, we want to make them as socially indestructible like unable to be phased as possible before they go home because we we always know what happens with the client because when a client brings their dog in for a board and training or or even daycare and let's say the dog is not social uh we always find that the client after the daycare or after board and training they start saying hey my, my dog's doing great now with dogs i'm gonna 
I'm going to try tackling the dog park or I'm going to go to the nearby park. And then very quickly things go sour, but uh, I just know they do this. And we've heard of many people tell us these stories. And, you know, if we make our dogs really strong here, really socially strong, uh, the fallout is not as bad. I've always found too, you can warn people over and over and over, but there are certain personalities. They just really need to learn from experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) That is, that is so funny. It's like, yeah, they have to like go and experience that thing happening and really realize then why it's so important. Like we see that with behavioral modifications all the time that people like don't think their dog is as bad as they actually are right and you'll be like hey yeah. you really gotta not let this dog meet these dogs on leash on the walk or you really gotta do this or you really gotta not go to the dog park and then until something like really bad happens then we get the call like five months later like oh my god like this happened i totally get it now you know <laughs> it's it is uh it is interesting how that works for sure yeah so. I, yeah yeah it's crazy yeah no um so when we met i i was basically at the beginning of our our working relationship, it was uh, me taking photos of the daycare dogs um, when he, he had his uh, last company. And I'll tell you the, the number one thing, because you said, you know, it's kind of like the dogs would come in just to daycare and they would be so good in daycare, but everywhere else they were terrible because yeah. they were not socializing them anywhere. And I, if I had a dollar for every time I heard an owner go, well, he's so good in daycare, yeah. but he's terrible when, you know, we have a dog come over to the house and stuff. But, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, I think they, a lot of people do get stuck in that trap because maybe they yeah. did take it to the dog, you know, their dog to the dog park went terrible. So, oh, we're relying on daycare yeah. solely for it, but the dog never like translates that back to their house when they have people over you know yeah and i think a lot of trainers and and we were even guilty of this early on right they didn't they didn't give the owners the proper like education as far as like when you are going to try to socialize your dog on your own because you're inevitably going to do it right Mm -hmm. even if we don't necessarily think you should do it in these contexts like if you're going to do it at least just like don't do these things or do these exactly things or whatever it may be like in the house like i know that was one of the big things you were talking about is just like this idea of dogs being territorial over the home and us just bringing dogs into the house yeah. like in their <laughs> domain and yeah. uh you know and, and all that kind of stuff and, and how messy some of that stuff can get and it's funny we actually haven't done a podcast since then but we've uh because our boarding services have been like at full capacity, like mm-hmm. for the summer so far and everything. And, and we've been unfortunately needing to turn a lot of people away for boarding that have been needing the service. I offered like a handful of uh, like on the weekends, a handful of like in-home boarding uh, options for like an inflated price for it. Uh, so I had like uh, I had like two dogs staying with me over the weekend and just, you know, all these dogs are, are very social, right? And all my dogs get along fine with other dogs and everything. But just the fact that these dogs were staying in my home, there were so many <laughs> things I needed to do to make sure that I was avoiding potential problems that may arise with, you know, them getting a little too rambunctious and crazy and like my dog's areas that they designate as where they lounge around and hang out and stuff like that. That mm. just, you know, because it's their home, right? Like, it could it could show itself in different types of problems, right? Wow. Um, did you see them act a bit more stiff, uh, a little bit more territorial, or, or were you just managing things properly? Yeah, just just managing things properly. So it was more, what I mean by that is it's more like the proactive steps that I needed to take to make sure. Good. Like, it's not like, I think a lot of people, like if they have, they say, well, you know, my sister's coming into town for a week and she's bringing her dog and they're staying with us, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, 
you know, and they're like, oh, well, they've met before. They'll be fine. I was like, yeah, well, they've met before, but they're going to be effectively living together for the next seven days. So you're going to be seeing so many new situations that are going to pop up that mm. that could turn into problems that you would have never seen before. Right. So being proactive about making sure that we're not just saying like you guys are just together 24 seven for the next seven days. Mm -hmm. And we put in place some rules and some management and some structure and stuff uh, is so important when it comes to into doing that kind of stuff like in your house. Mm. You know what? Um, that's a pretty important, uh, pretty important point. So you made proactive steps. Now, you know, most, most people who have dogs that have challenges, they, they don't do any of the proactive steps usually. And it's nothing against them. It's just, we know it's just what happens. They do all the reactive steps. The dog flips out. They've never been given any proper information. And then the owner says, ah, what the heck? Stop it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned proactive steps and I'm sure you guys have seen probably by now hundreds of dogs that do this exact behavior with you guys. Yep. If a worker were to come into the facility, if new staff were to come in, if a stranger were to come in, the dogs would do nothing. Yep. Like careless. But 100%. when they're at home, oh my goodness, someone comes over for a freaking hospital visit. Like yeah. it's like uh why do you guys why do you guys specifically think that is? <laughs> oh man. Like yeah. what do you think are the things the owner is doing that's causing this extremely different behavior? Well, I wanna mm. say, here's the thing, right? So I wanna say that it's getting back to the firework issue of symptom, not the problem, which is just in the facility. When they come to the facility, they're not getting away with anything, right? Uh, which is why, generally speaking, they're not going to react in that same type of way. I think another variable, too, is in a facility-type setting, at least with our facility, there's so much in and out, like people coming in, out, coming in, out, mm -hmm. coming in, out, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's just employees, right? Whether it's owners coming and picking up their dogs. And the way our facility is set up is, like, the dogs that are there, they see everything coming in and out the whole time. They're they're not like That's separated, great. like in a different area, which is good and bad, right? Like it, it mm -hmm. makes our job a heck of a lot harder sometimes. Um, but That's at great. the same time, it's, it's, great, it's great exposure for them, right? Um, so I want to say it's some of that, right? But at the same time, like I would say, like all four of my dogs are, are I, I totally trust them with like people coming into the house and all that kind of stuff. But let's say a situation I've run into a handful of times is I'm hanging out in the yard, right? And we're not expecting anybody coming over or anything. And, and maybe we have like our landscaper stops by and needs to ask a question or something. And he'll kind of walk around to the back fence and just like show up there. Uh, I have <laughs> run into situations where that startles the dogs and yeah. they'll start barking at them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is something they generally never do. And they get corrected for it every time they do it. And then they stop, right? And it's not a problem. But they will display that behavior sometimes. And I think it's just the, I think a lot of it has to do with the, 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 um, the unknown of it happening, the mm -hmm. dog not expecting it, them mm -hmm. getting caught off guard, and dogs' generally natural response to being caught off guard and startled is to alert at it, right? Um, and then I think it's compounded with owners because they just get away with so much more in the house. Yes, mm. yes. And, uh, you know, it's so true. It's it's such a problem when a dog becomes alert over things that don't require being alert. Yeah. Now, for your dogs, that seems like such a random scenario, like someone showing up right at your gate, coming around the house to the back. Mm -hmm. Like, I imagine that's pretty rare, right? Very infrequent. Got it. So if a dog is going to alert at that, that would be that would be reasonable. Sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, they, still, they still should get addressed for you to say no, which is what you said you yes. do, which is fantastic. But that that's reasonable. Now, when a dog starts alerting at anyone walking by the house, yeah. if you live in a condo, yeah. anyone at 5 p.m. going home, I, I think this is the cause of many, many, many problems. And I think a lot of people let these things go and then they expect a stranger to come over and things to go okay. And it's just never the case. Yeah, yeah. Never, ever the case. So proactive steps, uh, when you were saying, what were you specifically doing with these, uh, with your dogs when these dogs were over? 
Well, so the the first thing that I did when I brought them into the house, right, is uh, I had all my dogs loose in the yard, right? And we just kind of like, we coexisted on the other side of the fence for a little bit. Just had the dog on like a long line, right? Let them kind of sniff around and stuff. They kind of approached each other through the fence, interacted a little bit, stuff like that. And I was just kind of assessing overall body language and stuff. And yeah, I would mm. say that like my dogs were a little stiff to like, why is there a dog on the other side of the fence right now? <laughs> right? These dogs were a little bit stiff because they're like in a new area. They don't know what's going on. And we just did that until I noticed all of their body language just kind of neutraled out a little bit, mm. right? And if there was any sort of problem or anything like that, we addressed the problem, which I don't think there was with any of these dogs. I think they were they were all pretty cool. But if there wasn't to be any sort of like fence fighting or anything like that, obviously we would address that problem. And I focus on just that kind of like neutrality through not asking them to do anything, but letting them just kind of get their bearings, right? And, mm -hmm. and check each other out and stuff like that. Um, so we did that. Like I said, I, I just kind of, th that side of things, it, it wasn't even an amount of time so much as just like I was just waiting until I saw everything kind of even out and assess the body language to kind of be good and everything. Uh, then nice. we went in, right? Let them kind of interact, do their thing, stuff like that. Just heavily monitored, um, you know, kind of just, just let them, let them feel each other out. Right. And we did that for probably half hour or so. And then I put them in the crate for a little bit, you know, let them chill out. Right. Um, and then, right. um, it, it was just a lot of that. I think, I think that's usually what I tell people to do. Like if they're going to have, uh, you know, a housemate come over, introduce a dog, they need to do it in the house is focus on that, like <clears throat> getting them used to each other before you actually allow them to kind of, uh, greet and interact, do the greeting and interaction under direct supervision. Like we're not hanging out, like having a beer on the patio and chit chatting with the owner or anything like that. Like we're supervising, we're making sure that everything's good. And then we end it short and sweet on a nice positive note. And we do bursts like that. Right. Uh, until they get used to each other. Right. And I've seen enough situations. Right. And I've seen them in enough scenarios together to start trusting them a little bit more and then giving them more time together from there. So. Fantastic. Um, you know what, if you don't mind, uh, that raises a couple questions yeah. as long as you guys are okay with this. Hell so yeah. is it, um, is, is it you who does the, uh, the media editing, like the video editing? Uh, for the podcast I do. Uh, oh, that, he, yeah, that's great. A couple of the video people for, uh, in the, in the facility. Got it. So sorry again, if this is slightly off topic, I think you do a great job oh, for the podcast editing and stuff. So do you end up, uh, do you end up sitting through and listening to all of them or do you make little marks as you're on the podcast of exactly when you need to record? Oh no, it's recording the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, uh, sorry when you're clips. making an Instagram oh, for clip. the clips. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got clips, it. Yeah. I just rewatch it. So sometimes nice. when I'm going through it, I'll get it, but usually I just have to get it edited all, put it up and then I go through and get the clips. Yeah. So he, he That's does great. all of them for like this podcast for like the staff podcast that we do and like our vlog series and everything, which is a lot of the clips you're going to see on Instagram. Uh, our yeah. other team will edit the clips and edit the actual episodes. I actually go through and watch them though and create the timestamps for them then at that point. Oh, that's fantastic. We used to um, have them do it and, oh, and I was just fine at like the, the message I'm trying to curate, like it's it's so hard to relinquish that to somebody else. You know what I mean? Because it's like there's just a yeah. particular, <laughs> like I'll see that they're like, like something is cut a certain way and it's like, God, like I just wish there was a little more context of this thing or this thing. So I've been doing all that and creating extra work for myself. <laughs> he loves, yeah, he loves I, I get what you're saying. It's hard because there's a yeah. specific way you want it to yes. sound or, or the exact message you want to come out. Yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. um, so regarding 
Uh, I was going to ask you if someone is going to be working for you, let's say, or let's say you're going to hire someone else. Um, and let's say it's specifically for a training role or a dog handling role. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you often look for? Because I, I know you probably get a lot of requests like from people wanting to work for you guys all the time. Yeah. Uh, what, do, what do you often look for? So 99% of the people that have been trainers within my company, whether past or present, um, have all been either green or with very little experience. And they've worked for Great. me already in other positions, right? Um, so I've kind of already gotten a read on their personality, how they handle dogs, um, how they interact with people, right? Uh, their individual motivation as a person, stuff like that. So I look for all of those different variables. You know, I would say the biggest thing is like, like in this world, like you will not be a successful dog trainer unless you have very, very, very good people skills. And you've got to be a confident individual to be able to kind of stand your ground with, in a lot of cases, you know, push your difficult clients. Mm. Yeah. So that's oh, yeah, a I big agree. thing I look at and then just general understanding and like it, it feels like you pick things up pretty quickly and kind of have a little yeah. bit of a knack for like working with the animals. That's good. You know what? Um, I, I hire a very similar way. Like everyone who works with us is, is also very green. Yeah. Um, do you think there's a reason for that? Like why would you go for someone green versus a someone who's established or maybe trained a dog before. I, I mean, I think yeah, I know the answer, sure. but a lot of other people would need to hear it. <laughs> well, you know, and, and obviously the answer is, you know, you don't want to have to like reteach like ingrained habits that they might have because everybody's got their own style to things, right? And, but I look at that and all of the people that I've hired in the past that were trainers prior to that had a little bit of experience, mm-hmm. it was when I was very early in my career also. So I don't know how much of that honestly was you know, my ego side of things, thinking like I had to control everything a little too much because one of my newest uh, uh, trainers, Michelle, who's one you see on uh, on Instagram a lot and stuff, um, she had just as much experience as I did when I hired her, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember you telling me on the last yeah, podcast. For, for a very long time. She's she's an unbelievable trainer, obviously. And I would say that there was, when we first hired her, there was a little teeny bit of like headbutting over certain things, you know? <laughs> but like the, the second you could like, like kind of throw the ego to the side and just understand like this person is an individual that has a really good skill set. And who am I to go in and change all of that when it's been successful for her? And that's the reason why I hired her in the first place. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, and yeah. we kind of had that understanding of like, you know, treating each other a little bit more like uh like colleagues as opposed to like this like tiered uh kind of approach you know mm, um exactly i i you know i i could see myself hiring people with experience in the future again then you know great but i would great. say that's why yeah no I, I think that's a great answer um and what about if someone's looking to be a, a new dog trainer uh where do you think they should start because this is probably a question you get all the time too god it's it's <laughs> we've talked a lot about this on the podcast before because i think one of the biggest things that's killing the industry right now is that people are going right into starting their own company and working for themselves. And not even like I'm starting a facility and working with other people and stuff. It's just them, right? Yeah. Um. So there's no like, there's no anybody keeping anybody accountable, you know, it's, it, and then, you know, tack on to that. Some of these people, because they're very charismatic and make good videos and stuff are blowing up, right. That have very little experience or only have experience with training their personal dog. Um, you know, they, they, they then definitely don't continue to grow. And I'm generalizing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, looking at this uh, big picture right now. Right. Um, 
but I, I think there's just something to just working in a facility type setting and getting your hands on a lot of different dogs and working with other people, right? And having some sort of kind of mentorship uh, where you have somebody you could ultimately go back on and bounce ideas off of and stuff like that. I just think that's so valuable. Yeah, I agree. Um, I remember even when I first started and I was doing a lot of things on my own out of my house, I thought it was really hard. Uh, number one, to just keep yourself accountable, work the dogs properly, bring them everywhere every day. Yeah. The other thing I found really hard was uh, just, you know, if, you, if you're if you struggling with a dog, you just don't know if anyone else can help you. So the second uh, the facility opened and we had staff come in, it, it was a thousand times better. We have everyone working together. The team environment's great. You have yeah. immediate like help. Everyone can get help from you. You're right. I, I do think it's really hard to do things on your own, but people's marketing skills these days, their Instagram skills are, <laughs> oh man. They're great. Yeah. It's yeah, great. Yeah. It's uh, impressive. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like I see accounts open up. They have uh, the four thousand followers, whatever it is, and then you look at them six months later. They have like eighty thousand followers. I'm like, what? Yeah, How'd yeah. you do this? Yeah, it's we, crazy. It's unbelievable. But yeah. it's we, it's just those reels, and they're really, you know, their faces are on screen, and they're really good at talking about certain things. Like half of it's not ideal or wrong, and then boom, explosion on social media. Yeah, yeah. We did yeah. an episode specifically on just like the TikTok trainers, you know? Yeah. Oh and man, just going through uh, it, and you're just like. How does how does this person have like three hundred and fifty thousand followers <laughs> and stuff? You know, and again, it's good and bad. I mean, like yeah. there's there's a girl we had on uh, uh, Taylor from Proper Paws. She's got a really great Instagram account, and she when I first found her and invited her to be on the podcast, the first time she was on the podcast, she had like just hit six thousand followers, and we had her on like what like two or three months later, and she just hit a hundred thousand followers, and it was just like a oh my three goodness. month explosion, yeah. just explosion. And yeah. now she's a, a phenomenal trainer, right? She was putting out very good content but it, it is Got just it. insane how massive of a following you could develop yeah. like so quickly yeah, it was it was just like two videos you know yeah it just the algorithm was like oh man here you go here's here's <laughs> your here's the breadcrumbs and then it just yeah i mean i think the one got what like 1.2 million or yeah something like that, couple hit that. Yeah, yeah a couple yeah. hit that and then you know it's just kind of snowballed from there and it's just so crazy how the algorithm you're just like at its mercy you know so then my my question with that is um yeah, the algorithm catches things. What's your opinion on posting something a little controversial? Because you know people post controversial things to get oh. views. Oh, we and know. you know the most common thing people always post nowadays is like, oh, here's an off-leash dog or dog at the... It's like, there's no reason to shame this person online. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you're, you get 2 million views if you do it, some right? So, them, so what's your opinion on this? Some of them are a little cringy, I think. You know, like I'm, I'm all for... Listen, I'm all for posting controversial actual educational things you know or opinion, i agree opinions and stuff like that like i i do a lot of that or even posting a clip of a training session that there's a part in it where a dog might get a, a correction or, or something like that which you know is going to kind of stir the pot a little bit to some extent right like I, I don't have a problem posting any of those types of things but it's not even because like we're going into it trying to post a controversial thing necessarily it's just this is kind of the reality of it that a lot of people aren't talking about i think is where yes. the controversial stuff comes into play the whole thing that I'm seeing as of late, which is just people posting fucking these videos of them just like freaking out at somebody that has their dog off leash or, or their oh dog like goodness. kind of pulls over on a leash to sniff theirs and they just fucking ream the person out over it. I know, like post a, it. the poor person. That, <laughs> right? like, let them live. That stuff gets a little cringy. Um, I agree. You know, there was another video that went super bananas viral recently by a, a local trainer by us that was, it was like uh, two dogs greeting on leash and, and it, it went bad. It was like two pitties, right? And kind of, Oh, that's from stuff. the window. The, 
yeah. View from the window. I saw that video. So, so yeah. w- you know, we know the guy that posted it actually used to work for me. Um, oh, wow. So he, he was a former trainer of mine. Um, but that one was 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 a little... The yelling out a window thing, like, is, it, 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 it was kind of funny the first time I watched it. <laughs> but, but the thing is, actually, one of the dogs in that video was a client of mine uh, that, uh, like, two weeks after that video needed to put their dog down, right? So oh, now that my video goodness. is, like, you know, got millions and millions and millions and millions of views. And I'm sure they've yeah. seen it a ton of times. And I must have seen it at least, like, eight or nine times shared by a bunch of different yeah. people. That, that's so sad. So, so oh, people no. don't, you know what I mean? Like, people don't, like, sometimes, you know, we get caught up in the social media world and like we 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 look at something like that and it's like oh funny but like you don't know what's going on you know with, with yeah. the individuals you know sometimes in those cases mm-hmm. or the person that you know did have their dog off leash that got like fucking soccer kicked in the face over like running at your <laughs> dog where it probably could have gotten handled in a little bit better of a way or things like Agreed. that right so it's oh a little man messy, so <laughs> Yeah, like honestly, like I, I think if you go to a park and uh, if if you're going to a park knowing that the park is flooded with off leash dogs, and then you're going to start a fight, I I think you do need to take a little bit of responsibility for making the choice to go there. Yeah, uh, I don't think I don't think those people deserve ha- being yelled at. Like they they're probably aware their dogs are a little. Uh, badly behaved. They're probably yeah. embarrassed enough. You don't have to go ream them out. And I see this all the time. Yeah. Uh, I think if if you're aware that a park is going to have a bunch of off-leash dogs, like there are many other parks yeah. in every city in this world, you can go anywhere else. So I, I, I hate when I see it. And yeah. whenever we've been approached by an off-leash dog, I'm usually really polite. I'll say, hey, can you call your dog, please? And then if they don't, I'll say, do you, do you want me to just grab your dog for you? Like, yeah. I, I can do it. And then I'll just throw a slip lead on the dog and I'll just hand the dog back to them. I'm like, sorry, man, I, we're just in training. Yeah. Uh, some of the dogs here are a little scared. So if you could just keep your dog with you for a sec. Yeah. I think doing more than that is just unreasonable. Yeah, I think I think there's some situations, you know, where it requires a little bit more firm of an approach with things. But I think the actual yeah. situations that that actually happens in are very, very few and far in between. Mm-hmm. You know, like Agreed. we take dogs into public every single day. Right. And like we don't have trouble with off-leash dogs running at us all the time like it happens maybe once every couple months you know mm-hmm. agreed uh, and i think a lot of that is just like you know the best offense is a good defense right we yeah. <laughs> know the places we're going to we know where off-leash dogs generally hang out so we avoid those places and we go to other places instead mm-hmm. you know yeah and i think good. people need to just kind of adopt that mentality a little bit and get out of that state of mind of well i want to go to this place right <laughs> like, so i need to take my dog to this place and then i need to try to control everything going around me at that place it's crazy you know <laughs> Even it's the crazy. dogs like pulling up on a on a leash, right? We see a lot of those videos of people getting mad at owners over the the dog kind of pulling up on a leash. Like I could see when I'm walking through the park, a fucking owner, you know, a hundred feet ahead that has their dog on a flexi lead that's pulling around all over, and I could create just enough distance where I make sure that situation never happens. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly, and all oh, it takes is just a little bit of awareness. But instead, I think a lot of those trainers that do post clips like that. They go into the situation just like absolutely pushing every possible threshold for like the sake of, you know, training and getting a good video of your dog holding a downstay next to this dog walking two feet away from them. Right. Where, um, again, you kind of put yourself in that situation for that thing to happen. So Agreed. Agreed. Um, what was I going to ask you guys? Oh, uh, David, have you ever done any seminars like uh, yep. you personally teaching them? Yep. Yeah, a couple. Uh, um. Great. And, and what would the topics be? You you would do them on behavior mod, I imagine? <laughs> I, again, it's, it's like with the podcast. I shoot from the hip with any of that shit, right? <laughs> nice. So I don't nice. do a ton of them. And it's been a while since I've done one. But like I went through maybe like 
four years into me training or something like that, I did like a, a series where like all of our local rescues, I offered them like a seminar workshop, like a two day workshop that they can come into for free and all their volunteers can come and, and bring their dogs and stuff like that. And it was kind of just bring the dogs in and whatever, what do you want to work on? Right? Like we start with you like, Hey, w- what dog you got? What do you want to work on? What dog you got? What do you want to work on? And I just kind of give them my opinions on it. I've done a couple for clients uh, at our facility also. Uh, I have a buddy down in Florida in like the Tampa, Sarasota area that uh, brought me down for like a two-day seminar. Um, And all of them were that same concept. Just like, hey, bring your dogs, right? Whatever you want to work on, however I could help you. Like Mm -hmm. you got got this time that we could do that. Hey, that's fantastic. Um, so I, I've always been thinking of doing something like that here. We're doing our first few seminars local just because, you know, we've always thought about yeah. doing it and we thought, why not? We're doing a dog social one. We're doing a human social one and we're doing a play one. They're short. They're about two hours, two and a half hours. But let's say we were to bring you in mm-hmm. for a day or two. Is that something you'd be open to? Yeah. Up to Canada. Have you been to Canada before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. No, I just wanted to ask because I think it'd be fun. Um, yeah. We have lots of people up here that that, you know, they're looking for these things. We're really busy, but if we could even fly you in and we could book it in and I could chat and we can have you do some working spots, audit spots, whatever it is. Yeah. I think it'd be great. No, I, I think that'd I think be it. awesome. And, and, you know, zooming this out like bigger picture here, like I think one thing the dog training community is missing is trainers that are established getting together and training with each other. You know? Yes. Like, yes. like, like me coming down and even just, just you and I just hanging out for the day and training dogs, right? Or yeah. vice versa and stuff like that. And I think that, I think getting back to a lot of these trainers like by themselves that aren't, you know, in a facility or don't have employees or things like that, if they could get some like buddies that are dog trainers, it's like there's enough dogs for everybody to train where if like you make friends with somebody that's a couple cities over that's a dog trainer and you train dogs with them from time to time, like it's going to be okay. Like they're not going to steal all your fucking clientele. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think. Yeah. That- like um, one of the things we do, so we do these once a year is our apprenticeship program. And I, I love the program. So we have. Anywhere from eight to ten uh, people come to the program. We we teach them how to start becoming a dog trainer, um, how to just how to learn, and maybe if they want to get some hours, we connect them with local rescues, local shops, so they can just get some hands-on experience. Yeah. Uh, we usually hire through that apprenticeship. I find it's the best way for us to do our hiring. That's awesome. Um, and one thing I found is uh, everyone always asks us during the apprenticeship. They go, "Hey, are you not afraid that?" that these uh these people are gonna like take your clients and i'm like well i, I mean I, I don't care at all first of all there are too many dogs in this in this country yeah. but even more importantly uh, if they could if anyone in this apprenticeship can make a company that is maybe competing with us or doing better than us that would be i think incredible to see yeah. incredible to watch because mm-hmm, yeah. i'm sure even with you and your mentor david if you were to you know, your company's obviously doing very well right now. And I don't know if your mentor is the type to appreciate that. But uh, if I were to see that happen, let's say I mentored you years ago, let's say, mm-hmm. and if you were to create this company, I'd be like, damn, David is crushing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, he is killing it. And I'd be very proud. Yeah. Yeah. No, know? actually the guy that was my mentor when I first got into this is, you know, do you know, uh, Tyler Mudo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Tyler, obviously he's in Buffalo, right? And he's like three yes. hours from us. And he's the guy that taught me pretty much everything about e-collars. And, you know, oh, he's, amazing. he's a guy that uh, like I really, really like when I first started my companies, like if I ran into issues or this or that, that I really was able to lean into for like guidance and uh, nice. was, was an unbelievably valuable 
uh, asset to have, you know, growing the company. And him and I talk still fairly regularly. We did a podcast episode together, you know, a couple months ago, and and uh, yeah, it, it was it was really great. So I, th- I think having having some sort of good mentor that's been successful, you know, and somebody that's experienced a lot of problems and, and had to kind of go through the grind of things, you really really can shave off quite a bit of learning mm-hmm. um, or, or quite a bit of the learning curve uh, as you're getting into this, and you can make sure you don't put yourself in any sort of like really vulnerable like business positions because they've likely made all of the mistakes that you're about to make <laughs> and can help yes. you on how to avoid some of that kind of stuff, yep. you know? So, yeah, I, I find Tyler, uh, he's extremely, you can just, he's just wise. You can just see he's just a very super wise. wise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and the crazy thing is he does still seem very young, but yeah. you can just see just a wise aura <laughs> to him. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. He's one of those guys in the industry that just like, he, he really, like he really just wants to constantly like try to like push the envelope of knowledge a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, and like sometimes to, you know, like somebody asked me the other day, like a, about a trainer that we had on the podcast that I, I actually look up to. I think he's a great trainer. And they're like, well, is there anything that you disagree with that they do? I was like, yeah, like a, a, a gazillion things, I'm sure. right? But like, <laughs> but like that's a part of kind of like like being an individual is like challenging some of those ideas of your mentors and, and helping each other grow and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, I think uh, again, this industry is something that's very similar to to medicine. Like uh, in in medicine, everyone would disagree with each other at least on a few things. Yeah. And I think dog training is very similar. If two trainers agree on everything, they're just lying to each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so of course oh, they'll yeah. disagree on something. But as long as it's not a harsh disagreement, hey, I disagree. But as long as we get to the same result, it's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely fine. I you think you got time for one more quick question. Oh, of course. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So this is the, I ask everybody this question. I really, really love this question. <laughs> what has you really excited in the dog world right now? That oh, that's, be, a, that's that a fantastic from, question. Like, an internal standpoint of like things that like you get excited, like the aspects of the company that you get excited about working on, right? Or aspects of the training you like working on, or it could be bigger picture of just things you see happening in the dog world. Yeah, um, honestly, great question. So I'm always excited every year for the new dogs we're going to meet and the new clientele. Like I love, I absolutely love meeting our new clientele. Um, The other thing I'm very excited about, and I I would love to ask you this question after too, uh, I'm just excited for changes. Like one thing I love is when I look back at me the year before, I always always say, wow, me last year would not be able to handle what I'm doing this year. And I'm so excited for me next year and looking back and saying, man, me last year, there's nothing on me this year. (laughs) So I want to have compound um, change and evolution to my skill set, to my knowledge on dogs, to just everything we're doing. And if the company grows and we have like something else set up, like a new system, I'm very excited for that. But I'm always most excited because every year I'm like, damn, us this year, like our skill set, I didn't think we can get better. But oh, just seeing dogs every day, group sessions, pressure, seminars, private sessions, board and trains, like our skill set is now so much sharper than it was last Last year that I'm actually always excited for that. Yeah. 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 I think that's really cool. I uh yeah. I, I would say that like very similarly I agree to that. Also, you know, I feel like over the last couple of years I've been very acutely aware of let me figure out how to phrase this. How how aware of as the owner or leader of a company, right? Like yes. you yourself how much you're working on yourself, your skills, your flaws, your weaknesses, all of that kind of stuff. As you improve on all those aspects outside of the company, right? How much an impact, a direct impact on the actual company you could see, right? I look at like over the course of my now like 
almost nine years of like working for myself. And I look at like times when I was either in like a really good place or a really bad place, like personally, you know? Yeah. And I look at, you know, how things operated, right? And the overall structure of things and, and, and you know, the smoothness and all that kind of stuff. And you could see the direct correlation between all of that. You know what I mean? Um, so constantly working to improve yourself. And I would say that's one thing I looked at is like, like trying to think of like, what's the next like personal level up that I could look at that will have a correlation on like where this company goes in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'd say that that's, that's, great. that's a big one I've been thinking about a lot lately is like not even dog training related, right? Like not like what skills do I need to get as a dog trainer or, or things like that. It's, it's how can I be better so I could then do bigger and better things within the company. You know, and then from a yeah, dog standpoint, I think I think just I'm seeing a lot more people, kind of, you know, it, through all this conversation of like where you know like you know you're doing this good, you're doing this bad, whatever. I'm seeing a lot more people like start to simplify their training approach and focus a little bit more on the client again. You know, I think like mm, all yes. this this conversation and stuff of like you know trainers arguing with trainers about methods and this and that and 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 you you realize like through all that argument like the owners just don't give a fuck about any of that, right? They just want to <laughs> know like can you help me and can you help my dog, right? Yeah, uh, and, and I'm seeing a lot more people I think kind of get that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, I, I agree, and and I I don't know if I answered your full question. Are you excited for anything um, industry related? Because I know you you did ask me that. I, I'm excited for things with our company, myself, and just things we're we're currently doing and evolving. Yeah. Um, but I, I I know you also asked me briefly about am I excited about anything in the industry? Sure. Uh, that was correct, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just in yeah. general. Would you yeah. say? Would you say you're excited about anything specifically? Well, I, I would say, yeah, that 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 direction I'm seeing people moving, right? Of, Good. of kind of getting out of their state of mind of of uh, needing to overcomplicate things and stuff like that and just, just helping clients a little bit better. Um, I think that the push towards digital dog training is interesting, right? Um, I, I've really bounced back and forth on like how helpful some of that stuff actually could be, you know, when you get into like people creating courses and like subscription services and like all this kind of stuff, like from a business standpoint, like it makes sense. You could, you could bring in more customers and stuff, but I think what it's going to do is very quickly over the next year or so, I think it's going to make in-person training much, much more specialized and boutique, right? Because I think a lot of the people that are coming to us for in-person training are going to start going to things like classes where they could just do it from their house and their dog's not really that difficult to begin with so they might be able to get some baseline results and like be happy with things right their metric of success might be you know a little bit lower in met that at that point but i think we're going to start seeing a lot more demand for people that are doing really good work and a lot of the people that aren't doing good work are going to really start getting weeded out because the people that generally would go to them and be their happy customers are going to be able to get those results through something much more accessible like a virtual course or something like that yeah, you know what? I agree. Um, we're we're going to be launching one of these, I believe, in a few weeks, uh, like an online program. It'll yep. be subscription-based. I think it's really important for a subscription-based service to be, it should be very affordable, in my honest opinion, 100%. just because if people are paying, you know, 800 bucks, right, for an online leash walking course, mm. I just find that absolutely insane. Yep. Like, that's just, yep. no one's going to be there to tweak your leash handling. No one's going to be able to watch your dog loading, going crazy. Yep. Uh, I don't I don't think you'll get success. But if you can pay something affordable, cheap to just see many different scenarios of leash walking or training for something subscription-based, I think it's a bit more reasonable. Yep. But But this also brings up the problem of people messing up all these training methods on their own dogs. Yeah. So one of the things I find 
really problematic these days is when people come to see us with a prong collar already on, yep. mm-hmm. I find it just very messy. And then when people come to see us and they've started e-collar training on their own, I just find that also really bad. So, so what's your opinion on that online training and then, and then, you know, people learning how to use gear on their own and not doing a good job. This is, this is good. Um, so I've, I don't see it as problematic as some people do, right? I okay. think that I think that most owners that I see that come in that maybe have let's take an e I feel like an e collar is probably the one that would be a little bit more problematic than the prong collar, you know? Yes. Um people that start e collar training on their own, I think generally speaking, are already so hesitant to use the e collar that that yes. can cause issues, obviously, because they're inconsistent with it and they confuse the dog and stuff like that, right? Um and 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 you know, the number one thing as trainers we find ourselves coaching people is, is in a lot of cases, you actually need to go up on the levels a lot more than than you're actually doing, you know? So oh I don't goodness, see as many yeah. dogs that come in that I would say are like necessarily like messed up from the e-collar or anything like that. Yeah. I would say that we see a lot of them that are definitely confused initially, but I oh think goodness, a lot yeah. of that confusion, once you start implementing it properly, can be very quickly worked back around. Mm. Uh, and Agreed. I would say that in some cases, right, um, if people just understood how to get an e-collar and just stop their dog from jumping, you know, they would realize <laughs> they don't need to spend like thousands of dollars on a training program because that's the only thing that they care about, you know? So yeah. I, I don't have as much of an issue with people kind of experimenting and trying with that stuff on their own. Good, good. No, uh, so uh, I remember the other day I got a call from someone and I could tell the person was the type to be very easy on the dog and creating a very sensitive dog, very soft, sensitive, like mess of a dog. Yeah, yeah. And when they called me, they said, yeah, you know, uh, my dog's just very reactive, gets very stressed out easily. I just started using the e-collar and she said she started using the tone. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, I already know where this call is going. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> she said, she's like, yeah. And then I just raised it to a two on, I think the mini educator or something. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. And then the dog is freaking out a little bit at a two. And I was like, okay, look at, I can help you with some stuff on the phone, but I would recommend you come see us. But I, but the biggest problem is you have a positive only not being hard on this dog mindset for anything, yeah. but you're trying to take that mindset and put it into the e-collar. Yeah. And this is where you will severely stress your dog out. Yeah. Uh, because I, I can tell you guys, I don't know if you guys see this, but the dogs that I see the most confused on the tool is people that use low stim, low stim, low stim, yeah. low stim, low stim every single day over 100%. and over and over. Dog is pulling low stim, reacting low stim. Like I think you can make the dog neurotically charge harder towards yes. their reactivity when you yeah. do that little agitation. It's very similar to dog sport training. They would do minor yeah. agitation on the prong collar or minor with the e-collar and the dog just goes crazy. It's exactly so, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, uh, that's one thing I am finding a lot of people have a mindset and then they take the mindset and put it on the e-collar. And I think it's the worst tool to have a positive mindset towards. Yeah. Isn't that where, like, yeah. I, I guess you just get to though, like where, where your education is coming from on things, right? Because like, yeah, I exactly. think the problem is most of the people out there that are talking about e-collars online are talking about it from that lens, right? Which I agree. Yeah. People saying things like, well, I don't ever need to use above a 30 and it should always be low. And, and, you know, these dogs always work under 10 for this and for that and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, then you get into all the different methodologies behind, like, you know, all these people like doing like the command amplification stuff, constantly stimming every time. Oh, my command. It's crazy. Over, right. Crazy. And that's where you do get to like the agitation side of things. Like when you're you're training protection dogs, you're teaching them to fight pressure. Right. If you fight Always. the pressure hard enough. Right. Um, it, it, it accomplishes what it is you're wanting. Right. Yeah. Um, so so I do think that could be problematic. But even those types of things. Right. Like I think that the long term. 
actually, let's let's flip this, right? Like, so let me let me ask a question here, right? What's your opinion on people being, or not people being, dogs being like ruined or destroyed with improper e-collar use? Uh, good question. What do you mean by ruined? Like, are you talking confused or just stressed wearing the tool? When I say, and I guess you would have to ask the people that are like actually the ones out like saying it, right? But like how I interpret that when I hear people say that is that the dog is long-term screwed up from the e-collar use. Ah, you know, I, I don't think that's possible from all the dogs I've met. Like, I yeah. really don't see it as possible. But I, I find even if that is the case, you can very, very quickly fix it by yes. taking the dog off leash to have fun every day, especially if the dog is responding and maybe they're a little fearful of the e-collar. Yeah. You can take them, put the e-collar on, go outside off leash, let them run around and have fun. And very quickly in about a week, they'll say, okay, e-collar equals I get to go run around and play around off leash. Yeah. Occasionally, they'll get a high stim if they don't listen. But they're still 99% of the time wearing the e-collar, running around, having fun off leash. I, I've actually never seen that sustain. Yeah. Like, I, I find that ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm with yeah. you on that. I think that, like, yeah. when you get into, like, long-term ruining, like, it just, it just, these dogs are just so much more resilient than we think, you know? And yeah. I think a lot of people just think their dog is, like, or dogs in general are, like, made of glass, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and it's just, it's just not the case. I mean, like... I mean, you see trainer after trainer that is, you know, using e-collars, whatever, improperly based on our opinion, right? Or being really unnecessarily firm on a dog for, you know, uh, a whole board and train program. And maybe the dog does leave and they're kind of shut down and this and that. But the second they go back home, they're like, all right, we're fine. You know, they yeah. go back home and they're like, back to my normal routines. We're good exactly. to go, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think you could mess up things in your session, right? And you could improperly use your e-collar and you could screw up your progress you may have made with teaching something, right? But when you look at like the emotional well-being of the dog, right? And, you know, people talking about how like somebody is going to like screw that up long term and like make the dog into this like anxious, neurotic mess like forever and ever. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't really think that's the case either, which is why I get back to, you know, when it comes to the tools and stuff like that, I, I don't have as much of an issue with people kind of trying some of that stuff on their own, you know, because in some cases we've seen so many people, and I'm sure you've seen this also, like we get DMs from people that are like, man, I followed some of your YouTube videos and I did this and I did that. And, you know, my dog walks beautifully on a leash now or doesn't bark. Yeah. window anymore or any of those types of things so i'm willing to gamble it a little bit for yes you know those those successes that ultimately come from people just putting in the work on their own also yeah honestly like i think a lot of people if they can go online and they can fix nearly every challenge they're having with a youtube video yeah. like uh solid canine jeff he's like a, a notorious for this all of his videos have fixed so many dogs yeah so like for free for not a penny yeah and the hatred he receives is is ridiculous it's you know? so yeah it's it's crazy and uh like i, I don't hate him at all but every yeah. local trainer absolutely can't stand him and and i'm like okay do, do you guys even know what he does like I don't yeah. think they do. Um, and he's probably helped more people for free than they have paid. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. crazy, <laughs> you know? And, and, and the other thing is, um, the, the philosophy nowadays, I, I, the one thing I don't like about the industry is, um, a lot of people are taking balanced training tools and methods and implying a force, uh, force free approach. Yep. If you guys go on Etsy, one of the top, I wish I could show you guys on my phone, but yep. one of the top sold shirts right now says, if prong collar training isn't force free, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's what it says. Have you seen that shirt? I, I haven't seen that one, but I've seen enough like pictures and videos and graphics and stuff like that online of yeah of the same thing. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. number one sold shirt right now. I, I was I was literally gonna gonna bring it up because we we've talked about it before where 
you know, some of these balanced trainers, they, they try to downplay the e-collar and the prong collar, like really sugarcoat their words on like what it oh really is. But it's like, no, this is, this is a shot collar. Like this, <laughs> yeah, this is an aversive is. tool. And it's like, it's been like a big problem that we've seen that, you know, they just try to sugarcoat it to people. And it's like, when they finally get the tool, they're like, Oh my God, this isn't what I expected, you know? Yeah. And then I yeah. think they, that's why like someone like goes like on those low, you know, settings and is just stimming all the time. Cause they're like, Oh, it's only two. So maybe it won't, you know, affect them. But like you said, it, I think it just makes the problem worse than if you had a big correction and you fixed it once. Yeah. I 100% agree. Like yeah. it's it's crazy. And one of the things I even do in one of my classes, I don't know if I mentioned this to you in the last podcast, but um when it was winter here and our winters are terrible in in Canada, I would have my jacket on, right? And I would have my e-collar here because I want to demonstrate that if they don't have direct skin contact, yeah. the e-collar just does not work. Yeah. And every time I do this demonstration, I put the e-collar on my hoodie. I I slowly hold the button and crank it all the way up to 100. And I usually don't feel anything. However, there have been there have been situations where my hoodie's like a little damp. <laughs> <laughs> and then the e-collar just gets me at max. Yeah. And I just go, ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shoot. But I also realize the effect it has on everyone. They go, this guy just corrected himself at max and he's completely fine. Yep. <laughs> and then they go, it must not be that bad. I'm like, oh, yeah, I corrected myself at 100. Oops. Uh, and they're like, did that hurt? And I'm like... I mean, for a quarter second, it was pretty bad, but it's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm fine. Yeah. I think walking into a pole is a thousand times worse, and your dog <laughs> probably does that once a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think yeah. Uh, the the showing people the e-collar use, like, on the Mac setting on yourself is always a game changer for clients that are, like, oh, really yeah. apprehensive about it. I'm like, yeah. tap, tap, tap. Like, ow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you should, yeah, you yeah and I to realize, like, oh, people don't... People seem... This actually seems to click with them, because I think they see this unachievable level like oh i can never go above 25 my dog will explode that's what they start thinking so i think when they start seeing you give yourself a correction at 100 and you're fine your skin isn't fried they're like okay this this must be fine yeah i think uh i think one last thing that i think is pretty cool in the industry because you brought up gelman right so i i actually i I like gelman a lot too i think he's done a massive amount for for the dog world and i think Mm -hmm. yeah for as much as he's like gone downhill as far as his uh his ratings are concerned uh, (laughs) i I definitely don't think it's it's i think he, he says it all the time on his show and stuff too he's like there's thousands of other trainers that train exactly like him or yes. worse that uh, uh don't get literally any hate you know uh, oh my god just, yeah. he got the unlucky straw drawn of people took some of he his did. videos out of context and posted them around and boy did they look bad you know yeah um, yeah but uh one thing that i really like that he's been doing lately is through the getting back to the courses and stuff is he's been doing a lot of like fully live everything training right so like yes. you just finished one recently and i haven't actually watched any of them but i think that the concept of it is so cool of he took i think his most recent one is he had a little golden retriever puppy or something like that that he you know one of his his son's soccer mates or something like that's parents dog or something like that and uh he fully trained the dog in like six days and live streamed the entire thing every single oh my session goodness. with the dog right in everything like you know like that included because the dog was super jumpy and mouthy and stuff that includes him probably bonking the dog and giving the dog some high level corrections for that kind of stuff working through the training process this that literally showing everything right wow and i think a lot of the people out there would not be confident in doing that you know because it's gonna be yeah. messy sometimes like training because everything they're hypocritical the about it too yeah 
Yeah. And everything they're hypocritical about and everything they hate on all the other trainers for, they do behind closed doors. Oh, yeah. They are there. If there's one thing I can't stand, and this is where we try to be outspoken, is when people are so hypocritical, they have so much hatred, but they do the same thing. Yeah. And I think the biggest culprit of this, and I, and I hate to bring it up on the podcast, but it's, it's Larry Crone for sure. Like, I think he's the most hypocritical trainer there is. And I, I can't stand him for yeah. it, but it is what it is. <laughs> we, we've actually done two podcast episodes specifically on that, yeah. like a long time yeah. ago. He doesn't like yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, well, it, I mean, I mean, if, if he were a bit more, if there was a bit more integrity behind his words, because, you know, there's, he does the same thing for e-collar conditioning as solid canine, same exact yeah. methods. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a Nipopo method, right? Yeah. Same thing, but Jeff gets the hate. Larry Crumb gets all the love because everyone sees him as the most humane trainer there is. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we were talking about viral videos earlier. And the I think the most viral thing we got was our you know him or, or or one of the other trainers showing everything you know yeah like even the the messy parts you know the, the the harder parts to get through and you know it's you know they all just come up and dump on you know the positive oh, only course. stuff but the those i think it, it's a t- actually a good testament is like the most viral things are the the actual training the hard training parts that people don't ever get to see because yes. every like you said everyone hides that Whereas he is going out there and it's like, this is exactly what we do for, you know, for any dog that is this difficult, this is what you have to do, you know, to get through it. Unless you want to take seven years. As a right <laughs> that and yeah, nail, no, nail trim videos. Oh yeah. Nail trim videos. They <laughs> All the nail trims that. are, oh man, I got to do more of them. I have to catch up to you guys. <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of comments they bring is mind blowing. Oh yeah. Mind blowing. What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, listen, man. I'm not going to take up any more of your time here. This is this is awesome. I really definitely want to figure out a way to uh, to to link up and do some training together for sure. Uh, and also definitely have you have you on again. We can get a little bit more into some training because uh, I, you know, just just in talking to you, it's a second conversation now. Obviously, like you 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 really have a way with articulating like your stances on things and like listening and 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 it's. It, it's been great conversations, so I appreciate it. Thank okay. you. Yeah, same, same to you. I, I honestly love having you guys here. Like, you guys are super intelligent, well-spoken as well. Uh, everything you're talking about, you guys can back up. Um, and obviously, you guys are super experienced, which is, I think, so important. You do everything. Sure. Everything you tell everyone you're going to do, you follow through with everything, and everything you guys tell people is the truth, right? So I appreciate that. Um, we'll chat soon. David, is there any way you can send me this as well? And do you mind if I post this? Yeah, for sure. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. And very nice yeah. meeting you too, man. Yeah, you Take too. care. So, Keep up so, the videos. They're fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, See you guys. Uh, when I I try to like get in here, but like when <laughs> I'm when it's two like trainers and you guys are just going off, I'm like, go on, go on. You know, I usually try to talk more, but you know, I just get so like deep into it just listening to you guys. So. Oh, cool, but, man. Yeah, that's great. It's yeah. nice having you both. Hell yeah. Take, Take care. care Thanks again. Yeah. Have a good one. Recording. St- Ooh.